Welcome to episode 26 of the Think Wildlife podcast. Today I will be speaking to Dr. Ricky Okello to discuss about the great work being done by gorilla doctors and the diseases threatening gorillas around Uganda. My first question is that could you elaborate a bit about what you do at the gorilla doctors? Good morning, good afternoon or good evening to everyone hearing me depending on where you are listening from. I'm called Dr. Ricky Okwirokelo. I'm a field veterinarian for gorilla doctors in Uganda. Uh, gorilla doctors is the only uh, organization in the world dedicated to saving the life of the mountain gorillas and the eastern lowland gorillas through life-saving veterinary medicine and science through one else approach. Uh, you might know that we have very few mountain gorillas. There are 1,063, and their population is currently increasing. And we also have a declining population of the Grawas gorillas, which are also known as the Eastern Lowland gorillas. So basically, we monitor the health of these two subspecies of gorillas and intervene to treat them whenever they get a life-threatening illness or injury. So basically, that is what we do as gorilla doctors. But as we talk along, I'll be telling you more about what we do as gorilla doctors. So how are mountain and eastern lowland gorillas different from each other? Uh, I have worked with the mountain gorillas and eastern gorillas for over 10 years now. But I can tell you that it is very difficult to distinguish the two subspecies. But uh, from my experience of working with these two subspecies for a long period of time, I can tell you that number one, they, um, if you look at the fur or the, the, the air cord for the um, Grauer's gorillas, please remember when I say Grauer's gorilla is the same as Eastern Lowland gorillas. So the Grauer's gorillas have shorter fur or shorter hair compared to the mountain gorillas. That is one. Then number two, if you look at the face of the uh, Grauer's gorillas, it is slightly longer compared to the mountain gorillas, which is a bit rounder. Then also, if you look at the nostril, you will observe that the nostril of the Grauer's gorillas is slightly round. So that is basically how you can distinguish the two. Then maybe fourthly, uh, if I compare the sizes of the two subspecies, I would say the Grauer's gorillas are slightly bigger than the mountain gorillas. But mark my word, slightly. And for you to detect that, it, will, it takes a long time for you to distinguish the two uh, in terms of the sizes. So basically that is how I distinguish between the two subspecies. But for you, if they put for you two mountain gorilla and the Grauer's gorilla, it might be difficult for you to distinguish the two. Why are infectious diseases such a big threat for gorillas? Uh, and what are some diseases affecting them? Yeah, uh, infectious diseases are quite critical uh, in the, the conservation of mountain gorillas and Grauer's gorillas. Uh, because, as you know, um, there are only 1,063 mountain gorillas remaining, and they are all in the wild. Now, if you look at that number, 
it is very low. And uh, infectious diseases, as you know, from previous research, we have noted that uh, gorillas get the same uh, infection from contact with human uh, beings. I give an example like um, way back in the 2000, early 2000s, we had some gorillas that died of a virus we call human metanemovirus. These viruses are found in almost many human beings working around the gorilla parks. And uh, it does not affect humans that much. But when it entered into the gorilla population, it killed two gorillas. So that is an indicator that when we keep on contacting with these mountain gorillas, then uh, they are prone to catching uh, infectious diseases from us. And uh, as you can also note that uh, <clears throat> um, tourism, uh, if you look at the contacts between, um, uh, you know, the visitation um, of the mountain gorillas, uh, tourists from different parts of the world normally come to visit the mountain gorillas to view them, which is great uh, opportunity for conserving them. But uh, as you know, they come from different parts of the world and they can easily contact, get into contact with the mountain gorillas. There is uh, a possibility of disease transmission to these uh, uh, gorillas. We might uh, end up uh, infecting them and then uh, reducing their population. But I can tell you that uh, what we have done to curb that, gorilla have rules, we call gorilla visitation rules where to avoid such infectious disease where when gorillas uh, when you go for uh, to visit the mountain gorillas uh, basically you um, keep some distance currently we are 10 meter distance whenever you are coughing you try to turn your mouth and cough the other side if you are sick you don't visit the mountain gorillas so such rules have enabled um, reducing the chances of infecting the mountain gorillas with the infectious disease. And the number one threat to the mountain gorillas, I would say respiratory infection, um, which we normally, if whenever we find a life-threatening respiratory infection in the mountain gorillas, we do intervene and then treat so that that uh, mountain gorilla can, can recover. Yeah, so number one, the most common disease, we have the respiratory infection. And then uh, number two, we have the parasitic infection. And uh, here I'm talking about mainly the helminths, the roundworms and the tapeworms, mainly. The um, trematodes we have not found so much in the mountain grass, but mainly the roundworms and the, the tapeworms are very common findings in the mountain grass. But uh, I, I can tell you that not all the gorillas that have mountain, uh, that have the uh, these helmets will go down due to these uh, helmets. They can only go down if their immune is low or when they are very much stressed. But if they are not stressed, there will be no problem. They will live with it. And then uh, there are also other uh, diseases that we have uh, in, in addition to the internal parasites, which are the helmets we also have the external parasites, uh, which causes, uh, in the early 2000s, we had what we call mange. Mange is, um, is caused by mites, 
and as you know, there was a point when gorillas were moving very close to the communities and uh, the uh, communities had mange and when these gorillas contacted with the humans, they got mange and uh, I mean and uh, scabies and uh, we had some two gorillas that mainly the infants that died of, uh, of scabies uh, as a result of mange. How do you monitor the health of these gorillas in the wild? Uh, so how we monitor the health of these gorillas, uh, I told you that we have 1,063 mountain gorillas. Now, out of that, some of them have been habituated for tourism and research. Habituation means making them used so that visitors and researchers can go and view them. Now, the gorillas that we monitor are the ones which have been habituated. And in Gwindi, uh, I'm talking specifically on the Gwindi side, where we have 50% which have been habituated. And in the Virunga, we have 73% habituated. So those gorillas which are habituated, we normally go to them each day. We assess their health by looking at their physical appearances, looking at their skin uh, color. You know, gorillas have uh, black and shiny skin hair, but if you see it turning into brown, maybe it is rough, uh, maybe it is um, losing hair, then you will know that particular gorilla is having a problem. Or looking at the core, gorillas cough just like humans. So when whenever we see a gorilla coughing consistently, then we know there is a problem. Additionally, uh, we also try to look at the uh, the nozzle discharges. If you see gorillas getting a cold, normally you see there is it's having flu and and the lines. Then uh, looking at the fecal uh, samples, uh, you know gorillas normally they eat a lot of food. A normal gorilla eats uh, a silverback. It's about twenty five kilograms of, of food. And eating 25 kilograms of food means you have to pass the feces at some particular point. So we normally observe these feces for the mountain gorillas. Uh, for the color, we know the normal color of the, the feces of a gorilla. Uh, we also know the um, consistency when it is loose. Or we also check inside and see if it is having any worms in the feces then we shall know that gorilla is not healthy. And then uh, I would also talk about the behavior. Gorillas stay in a family. And if one particular gorilla is maybe not feeding, maybe walking slowly, maybe uh, not doing what it's not supposed to do, then you know that particular gorilla is not healthy. And then lastly, I know there are many, but I can just tell you some of the few um, things that we do to assess the health of the gorillas. Uh, also looking at the wounds. Gorillas do fight a lot among themselves and whenever they do fight, they get injuries. And when they have injuries, not that we shall treat all the gorillas that have injuries, but we shall monitor and see how big is the wound, where is the location of the wound. Normally the wounds which are on the eye um, are so delicate or around the air sac of the gorilla is delicate. So for such situation, we normally monitor and see if it is infected, uh, we do intervene and treat that particular Indian gorilla.
So could you also talk about how you are implementing the One Health approach to gorilla conservation? Um, as I told you previously, as gorilla doctors, we um we do our work through veterinary medicine and one and uh, science through a One Health um approach, and uh, we highly think the health of these gorillas are dependent on the entire ecosystem. If humans around the gorilla habitats are not healthy, the gorillas are not going to be healthy. If animals, the livestock, the cows, the cattle, the pigs, the sheep around the national parks are not healthy, they can infect the mountain gorillas. If other wildlife around these gorilla habitats are sick, then we shall know they can easily infect the mountain gorillas. So basically what we do, we try not only to work on the health of the mountain gorillas, but also to work with the communities surrounding these national parks. And we have quite a number of activities that we do. One of them is what we call health screening for the park personnel. So basically, we have rangers who go to the, uh, to the to see these gorillas every day. And we want to be sure that these rangers are healthy before they reach the gorillas. So we normally do an annual health screening for the rangers that work in the park and we do a follow-up. Currently, we have a human medical doctor uh, that we pay in Rwanda that try to uh, treat the uh, park of the park rangers that are sick of various diseases. So that is one. Then number two, we do rabies vaccination for dogs and cats for areas around the parks. And then also we do health education. We go around uh, the communities in the park to teach them how they can keep healthy, how can they can also keep the gorillas healthy. And then uh, what I'll talk um, research, wildlife surveillance. So over the past many years, we do wildlife surveillance for not only gorillas, but domestic animals and other wildlife in the park to see if they have any viral pathogens that can have a potential impact on the mountain gorillas. Could you elaborate a bit on the PREDICT project being run by gorilla doctors? Yeah, so uh, PREDICT project is uh, what I would now say it was because uh, it started from 2010 and ended in 2020. So PREDICT project was a, a USAID funded program, which was part of Emerging Pandemic Threat Program. Uh, that was in uh, over 20 countries uh, in Africa, in Asia, and uh, Latin America. That was in charge of um, surveillance, wildlife surveillance, to see the, potent, uh, the potential pathogen spillover from wild to uh, the human population. As you know, about more than uh, two-thirds of the, the pathogens uh, are known to be from uh, to be on humans 
are known to be coming from the wildlife. And that is why we are, uh, for PREDICT project, we have been doing wildlife surveillance by trapping mainly the bats, uh, the rodents, uh, the um, non-human primates, and uh, we collect samples from them, and samples we are collecting were mainly blood, the oral swabs, the rectal swabs, and then we store them safely in um, the right media. We transport them to the laboratory. Uh, we had several laboratories across the country, and then they would be tested for which viral pathogens uh, they, uh, they have and the potential of them coming into the human population. And uh, briefly, maybe to tell you the results, um, over the past 10 years, uh, from 2010 uh, uh, to 2020, uh, the PREDICT project discovered over 900 new viral pathogens. Not new, but I would say no. Viruses that had not been detected before. And one of the most interesting things was the coronaviruses. Uh, we discovered over, I think, over 500 coronaviruses. And uh, in uh, 20, 2010, uh, I mean 20, 2019, before the COVID uh, uh, broke, when we were in a, one of the workshops, and researchers were for PREDICT were sharing their results, uh, you could clearly see that there were over 500 new uh, novel coronaviruses that had never been detected before. And the researchers were very clear that probably the next pandemic would be a coronavirus because this is something that we had trapped very many bats across the world and uh, we were seeing very many bats and other animals having the coronaviruses. Not COVID, but the coronavirus is different. Uh, so uh, maybe that is in brief what I can tell you about the PREDICT project. The gorilla doctors, you also have a lot of orphan gorillas. So could you just talk a bit about these orphan gorillas? Where do they come from? And do you plan on reintroducing them to the wild? Uh, so um, the, as I told you before, gorilla doctors work in three countries, Uganda, Rwanda, and the Democratic Republic of Congo. And that is where the uh, mountain gorillas live. Now, uh, in the early 2000s, in DRC, DRC is Democratic Republic of Congo. As you know, there is, is a lot of insecurity there. Um, a gorilla family was killed by the rebels. And uh, when the rangers uh, went in the morning, they found many gorillas were killed in the group, and some infants were left helpless. Uh, they could not leave, and those gorillas were, uh, after discussion with different partners, were taken uh, into our custody, and uh, we started taking care of them until they were transferred to Senkwekwe, which is also in DRC, and uh, we have been taking care of them. But that was uh, some time back, and uh, uh, and you know, gorillas don't live that long, and uh, some of them are. Had become some of them along the course became hill, and currently we have two remaining mountain gorillas in captivity that we take care of them by giving veterinary 
So, uh, how can an individual contribute to gorilla conservation? Pardon? How can individuals contribute to gorilla conservation? Oh, uh, that's a big question. <laughs> I can assure you that gorilla conservation, um, the conservation of gorillas requires a collaborative approach. No single person can work alone to conserve the gorillas. It's it's a work of different kinds of, of people who work to achieve the uh, the, the gorilla um, conservation. And I'm talking from the gorilla um, the perspective as a veterinarian. Now, as gorilla doctors, uh, maybe I don't know whether I could pass. Before I answer your question, I can give you a small uh, a statistics. Yeah, sure. The mountain gorillas are increasing at 4% per annum. Out of that 4%, 2% of that population growth is a result of the veterinary care that we give to them. When they get injuries, when they get snares, when they get um, uh, uh, sick, we do treat. And that intervention contributes to 2% growth. And as you know, um, that requires uh, facilitation. Gorilla doctors, number one, uh, you see, if you come to these the national parks, you will see that the distance from one park to another is such a long distance. Sometimes for you to move from one place to another place, it can take you one or two days. And that requires a lot of things like vehicles. It requires fuel. Some of the medicines that we have are not found in the region. It means we have to get some of those medications. And uh, we normally have very many people who, who donate to gorilla doctors. And then through such donations, uh, we it help us to perform the duty that we are supposed to do. So one of the things that um, individuals can do to support gorilla conservation is through donation to help us in our field activities. Then number two, uh, capacity building. We have had several people, professionals, who do give us knowledge, train us as veterinarians in new knowledge uh, so that we can apply the knowledge they have uh, told us into gorilla conservation. And then I could also say um, morale. Every individual, when you give us morale, we get activated, we go to the field, we go to the forest, and we do whatever we want to do, knowing that we have people who are backing up us up, and then we do our work efficiently. So uh, that is how individuals can support the gorilla conservation. So my final question for you is that, what has been your greatest learning from your conservation career? Uh, uh, that's, um, I've learned a lot from Gurla, uh, my work as a veterinarian for the past 13 years. Um, 
alone, if I come to talk about it, it can take a full day. But in brief, I would tell you that uh, if I look at uh, the great apes, we have different subspecies of the great apes. And the great apes include the orangutans, the, uh, the chimpanzees, the bonobos, and then the gorillas. Now, if you look at all those, all the population of the orangutans, the bonobos, and uh, the chimps they, in the wild are reducing. It is only the mountain gorilla whose population is increasing in the wild. And as I told you previously, 4% of the increase of these mountain gorillas is a result of, uh, I mean, gorilla population are increasing at 4%. Out of that 4%, 2% is a result of veterinary care that we give to them. Now, I highly think that if some of these things that we do in conserving the gorillas, the veterinary care that we give to the gorillas are done in combination with every other thing that other partners are doing, the population of other wildlife, including the chimpanzees, the orangutans and bonobos can increase equally. So that is one thing that I have learned in gorilla conservation, that the collaborative approach and the veterinary work that we do can be applied to other great apes to increase their population. And then maybe another thing that I have learned, I have, when I first joined, I saw a small baby gorilla that was born a week that I first came here in 2009. As I talk now, that particular baby has grown into a very huge adult female and two years ago it gave birth to a baby. What have I learned about this? I have learned about that in about 10, 15, 30, 40 years the gorilla population will increase as long as the condition remains constant. If what we are doing continues, the gorilla population is going to just increase. But I've also learned something which was, um, which is a threat to me. I have learned that the, this, the population, this population is very fragile. In 2020, uh, when we had COVID, we had something which was very unique. Uh, there was a gorilla group in Mugahinga called Hirwa group that had crossed from Rwanda into Uganda. And that gorilla group was 17 in numbers. And we had never seen anything like this. One day, there was heavy rainfall, lightning strike, four gorillas dead. Four gorillas died instantly. We had never seen four gorillas in the same group dying the same day. When we were doing a post-mortem, we found one gorilla that was dead, was pregnant. Seven months old, those are already five gorillas. Then, out of these four gorillas that had died, there were three that had uh, infants, babies, who were very young and could not take care of themselves. Also, the three gorillas, because they are young babies and we could not take them into captivity, they died. That means we have lost eight gorillas in one single day. Now, what does it mean? It means gorilla population is still very fragile. 
we should not be happy that the Gola populations are increasing because anything can happen and the entire Gola population can crash. In West Africa, we had a, a population of the uh, Western lowland gorillas. Now, in the early 2000s, we had over 5,000 gorillas, the Western lowland gorillas that were killed, over 5,000 were killed by Ebola. What does it mean? It means should there be um, Ebola in the mountain gorillas, which are only slightly over 1,000, it can wipe out the population of the mountain gorillas. So, whereas the population of the mountain gorilla is increasing, I think we still have to monitor them very well because anything can happen that can finish the population of the mountain gorilla. So that's my final question for you. Thank you so much for your time for this podcast. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you very much.